Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the New Testament. We'll begin in verse 13 in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the ministers on this uh, team, and real grateful to be a part of this church, and we're glad you joined us this morning for worship. Uh, we're completing a series, uh, it's our eighth week, uh, in a series called Corrective Lenses, which has been looking at how do we view the world the way that God has revealed it to be viewed, and how are we to live in light of that revelation. But while you're opening your Bibles and they're finishing up collecting up your offerings, I want to uh, encourage you and invite you to come to the big splash tonight at 5 o'clock. It's here in this room. And uh, we're encouraging those who have never completed their faith and obedience in baptism uh, to take that next step. And I'm really excited to tell you we have over a dozen people already uh, have let us know that they're coming tonight. That's the most we've ever had going into a big splash And in light of this series, we're challenging people to uh, fulfill that and to uh, honor God in obedience to baptism and receive what that means. And uh, so we're encouraging those of you that have not registered yet and you just decide maybe even today that this is what you want to do, just show up tonight. Uh, It's going to be a night of worship. We're going to sing together and pray together and encourage our hearts in fellowship. There'll be some food to share together, but we're going to witness some people that are walking in and saying, I need to obey Christ in this, and I need to receive the blessing of baptism. And so if that's interest to you, show up tonight, bring shorts and a t-shirt and a towel. If you decide that you don't have shorts, t-shirt, and a towel, we'll have some for you. But we're really excited about what the Lord's going to do. And as we've prayed every time we've done this, we just want God to get what God wants. And so open your hearts to that and see how he might be leading. Last week when we talked about suffering, uh, we drew our attention to the seventh chapter of Matthew where Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount by talking about a foundation built on sand or a foundation built on the rock. And that imagery that Jesus used is, if you have a foot in the sand and the foot in the stone, when the trials of life come, you're going to be swept and knocked over because you have nothing to stand on. It's not your strength that sees you through it. It's the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. And today, that will be tested no more. You say, suffering's the big test. No, what we're going to talk about today is the bigger test. And we're going to complete this series through the corrective lenses by talking about a very popular topic, death. Death is a hard topic, not to talk about. It's a hard topic to listen to. And there are a lot of teachings about death that permeate our culture. And today we want to see what the Lord has told us about it and how to live in that. But I want to be careful because I realize there are some of us in this room who even in the last six months have lost someone they love very, very much. Maybe it's not just as recent as six months, maybe it's six years, but the pain is there. And there's a word of hope for you today. There are some of us that are facing the death of a loved one, and it's just now a matter of time. All the indicators are pointing toward a cessation of their existence. Hospice has been called in. The doctors are saying there's nothing that can be done And what good word from God comes to you today? I believe there's encouragement. And some of us, we still can't talk about death. And we wish we hadn't come this morning because the pain, the regret, and the loneliness is not gone. And it's real. Max Lucado said, when someone you love dies, it affects you. Memories can come slamming in without notice or warning. Just a whiff of his cologne, 
or a verse of her favorite song and you're saying goodbye all over again? Why won't the sorrow leave you alone? Bacato says, because you've buried more than a person, you've buried a part of yourself. That's why death is a big topic. It's something that we need to see in the way God wants us to see it, or it can debilitate our entire lives. One preacher said, death must sneak into every conversation because it will never be invited. It causes parents to swallow hard when their kid asks, what happened to grandma? It causes silence at holidays at the absence of a loved one. It ends conversations among old acquaintances. It's an awkward thing because we dread it. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, Everyone must die once and after that be judged by God. This is in my top five least favorite verses. It just is. I'd like to rewrite it, but God won't let me. But if I rewrote it, it would be, Nearly everyone must die. Or everyone who serves peas must die. Or whoever drives slower than other traffic in the left lane needs to die now. And those are all justifiable, aren't they? I mean, everyone understands that. But my Bible says everyone must die. Woody Allen has that famous line. He said, the ratio is one to one. All of us must die. But he has the even better line. He said, I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. None of us like this topic. <clears throat> but a biblical worldview gives us the means by which we can deal with the inevitability of death. And whether we want to talk about it or not, it is crucial that we do. Because I'm going to tell you that I believe a biblical worldview is the only worldview that allows you to face your death with hope. The rest of them give you a hope, but it's not based on any reality. And it doesn't, it doesn't address the issue of sin. It only addresses the issue of accomplishment, of credit or merit. And the biblical worldview is the only one that deals with the truth of my condition and what can be done about it. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul, writing to the church, says, Brothers, and that's crucial that you understand who his audience is. He's talking to Christians. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Interesting. Very few worldviews encourage you with what's beyond death. So let's talk about the truth of death as revealed from the Bible. Very simplistically, but necessarily. Death is hard on us, so we grieve. What I love about the reality of the Bible is it's not just a stoic book that says, keep a stiff upper lip. Hold your chin up, boy. Everything's going to be okay. No, death is rotten. Death is mean. Death is final. It's a scary proposition when you see death just from the physical reality of it. But Paul tells us it's not final unless you're just a physical creature with no soul. He says it's a doorway. It's like falling asleep. He says to grieve hopefully 
not hopelessly, but Paul doesn't say, don't grieve. In John chapter 11, there's a story of a man named Lazarus dying, and Jesus loved Lazarus, and Jesus hears of his death, or he's about to die, and Jesus proceeds toward his home, and he doesn't arrive before Lazarus is gone. For whatever reason, Jesus delayed, and Lazarus died. And Mary and her friends come running out to Jesus when they hear that he's close. He talks to Martha, she goes back, and Mary and the friends come out, and they're all grieving. And my Bible says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. If you do the word analysis of what that was written in the original language, when John recorded these thoughts, what he said was, Jesus was filled with rage and indignation. What set Jesus off? Was it the fact that there were mourners and people were crying? Was Jesus looking at them going, oh, cut it out and grow up. It's just death. No. He was filled with rage and indignation at death. Death is an unnatural part of God's world. God did not intend for us to die. It is the punishment for our sin. That's not popular in today's culture. It's not popular at all. In fact, there's a, a wonderful movie out there. And it's called The Lion King. I, I watch heady stuff. And in The Lion King, Mufasa tells Simba that Yet yeah, the grass grows so the gazelles can eat the grass, so the lions can eat the gazelles, and then when the lions die, they go to fertilizer, which brings the grass. It's all the circle of life. Mufasa lied. That is not a worldview that's biblical or sound. You are more than just a carcass that's meant to feed grass. You are filled with the spirit of the living God. You have an eternal component to you that will live forever. Mufasa lied. How sad is that? But how many of us believe it's just a circle of life? You're here, death is natural, you should just accept it, live with a stiff upper lip, and move on. Then I read the book of Job. Job finds out that all of his children died when the building they were in collapsed. And my Bible says he tore his robe, he threw ashes on himself, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he continually cried out. And the Bible says in all of these things, Job sinned not. Did you catch what we were just told here? That death is not a natural thing we should just look on and go, eh, it's just circle of life, baby. I'm here for a while, then I'm not. It's just the way things work. It's not. That's not a biblical worldview. That's not a sound worldview. Jesus didn't respond that way. Jesus fought against death. He came to fight death and to win. Dylan Thomas said, do not go gentle into that good night. I don't plan to die well. I'm going to announce that right now. I'm not going to just be eager for it. Maybe I'll become an older man and, and I will have outlived all my friends and family and I'll think, you know, check please, I've had enough. I could say that now. At almost 50 years of age, I don't mean to be a cynic, but if Jesus came back right now, I wouldn't go, oh yeah, but what about the royals? Nope, I'd, they'd be okay. <laughs> It'd be Okay. <clears throat> The value of human, every human being is not in the contribution you leave to the ecological system of this lifetime. The value, as has been discussed in this series, of every human being is God breathed life into you, his spirit, and that's what sets you apart above all creation. You're more than the circle of life. You are full of the life of God. And the second principle is death cannot take our hope. This is Paul's point to us. Paul says to grieve, but to grieve with hope. Now, I'm going to ask you to, to answer. I'm going to ask you to respond in agreement. If you disagree, just remain silent. 
Okay, you're good at that. But if you agree with me, talk to me. I want to show you how this whole series culminates in death. Because I do believe that the biblical worldview is the only worldview that allows you to see the reality of the impending death that we all face and do it with hope. Not that that we will be good enough to receive some benefit from God, but that we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, and because of that, we can choose to live differently because it's not about us. So let me show you and see if you agree with me that what we've talked about for the last eight weeks, both Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, connect. Do you believe that knowing who God is helps you face death? That who we are in God helps us face death? That why we're here helps us understand death. Oh, you got quiet on that one. Okay, don't, I know I'm wearing you out, but hang on. We've got a little few more to go. That who others are around us and the value they have helps us face death. That what we can know to be true as revealed by God helps us face this. That how we live both our body and our soul helps us face this. And last one, that what we do in the good and worst moments of our life help us face death. You see, a corrective lens allows us to understand that death it does not have the final say it threatens to have. That because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have hope. And no other worldview brings you hope. It makes an empty promise it can't fulfill. Do enough good works, and the God of the universe will let you in on some contractual obligation. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie. Put the right lens on. Listen to what he told you. See what he demonstrated in Jesus, and you'll find a different conclusion. Dwight Moody, the great uh, preacher of the last century, said when he was dying to one of his friends, pretty soon you're going to hear that Dwight Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? I'll be better than I've ever been before. That's hope. That's to face death and not be willing, but to go through it. You see, the truth is, I am going to die, not because my father sinned, Not because someone down the line of my heritage sinned. I'm not going to die for the sins of my country. I'm going to die for Mark Christian's personal choices to rebel against his creator God. And none of us can hide behind that I haven't done anything to warrant this. Every one of us has crossed God willfully. And the punishment of that is our death. Not because God wanted that, but because each one of us chose it. You see, the Bible doesn't say don't fear death because it's natural. The Bible says don't fear death because it's been defeated. You see the difference? People say, well, keep a stiff upper lip. We're all going to die. Just get used to it. No, my Bible says face death and don't fear it because Jesus defeated it. So Paul tells us the second point this morning is what is the uniqueness of the biblical worldview above those others who live in this world? Paul says, don't be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. I love Paul's imagery of sleep here. Uh, I've often, I'll be honest with you, God and I have some unique conversations. I think he might roll his eyes at me at some times. But I've told him, if I'm going to go, what I'd really like to do is I'd like to play 18 holes of golf, score really well, come home, eat a sandwich, take a nap, and wake up in heaven. I'm not a noble man. (laughs) If I'm going to write my own script, I want out that way. After a good nap, I just wake up, Jesus, good to see you. Great game, Mark, and then off we go. That's what I want. I don't know that I'm going to get that. But I love Paul's imagery of sleep. You close your eyes, you drift away, and you wake up. Uh, Arise, O sleeper, and wake from the dead. Christ will shine on you. The imagery is beautiful throughout the scripture. And then Paul talks about those without hope. 
He says there's a uniqueness to hope. And I want to share with you three things that I hope will encourage you today. The first is, I believe the Bible teaches that we will be with Jesus personally. Now this may just be my little champion moment that I want. But when I see it in scripture, it makes my tail wag and it makes me happy. I have read, and I don't say this to boast, but I've preached a series on death and dying in every congregation I've been a part of, even those that I was guest preaching in because they asked me to. And I've done enough research to indicate that a majority of the books you could find at a Barnes and Noble, if Barnes and Noble still exist, that if you went to a Barnes and Noble and you went into the death and dying section, you would read a lot of nonsense or not biblically true principles about death. I've read a lot of it to find out what the world's teaching. And one of the things that disturbs me most, and I didn't know it would get to me till I read it, was this whole thing of the loss of personal consciousness. That it wouldn't be me. That my spirit would go back and join other spirits and we'd just be this big conglomeration of spirits and all of the personal relationship with Jesus and with others will be gone. I don't know what degree it will be there, but I tend to believe it will based on what Paul teaches us. Look at verse 17. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 15. We who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord. The word coming of the Lord is an interesting Greek word. It means translated appearing or coming. And Dr. Timothy Keller, in talking about another passage that uses this Greek word, he says it's the receiving of the Lord personally. It's a beautiful image. Uh, it's, an, it's the image of of a king coming for you and you, one of many, but you individually making a choice to welcome this person to you. And being eternal spirits and being so different from the grass and from the gazelle and from the lion that I believe that we will be with him, that this relationship with Jesus Christ is forever, that we are set apart in his spirit, not just as a spirit, but a unique spirit, that his name, our names are written on his hand. I love the fact that I'll get to be with Jesus and not evaporate it into a big cloud of faith. I think that's important, at least it is for me. And second of all, we will be with Jesus fully. I really like this passage because what it means to me is you're not on a cloud, you're not just a spirit, but you're with a body. Paul says in Corinthians that we're going to have a imperishable body, that the body I have in will fail me. And one day, just because of the nature of sin, and it'll decay, my body will fail me and I will die. But I will live. My spirit will live with God eternally. And he will give me a resurrected body. And we will be with him. Look, that what death does to the body is not what it does to the soul. And there's too much teaching out there that says you're just going to disappear. You were here for 72 years, you vanish, and there's no memory of you except for the few people. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about this. Without a hope of the resurrection, the book of Ecclesiastes says, you're here for a moment, you're gone, so what? I'm here to tell you, you matter. You matter to Jesus, and that's why he came. And through the resurrection, he's going to restore all things. And there's a passage of scripture that's up for debate, and I'm going to open the lid and run away. We talked about it in our end times forum. But it says that we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. To meet the Lord in the air. It's really an interesting term what the word meet means. Many of us think, and it's been concluded and written about and movies made, that we will meet Jesus in the air and he will suck us up into the heavens to something we know nothing about and we will be there. That word meet does not give you the right to indicate what proceeds after that. Or excuse me, what follows after that. The word meet 
can also be demonstrated by what the father did in the story of the prodigal son when he saw his son coming home and he ran from his place. Where did he go? It's not our text today. Come on, church. Where did he go? He ran out onto the road to receive his son. Where was his son coming? Home. Why would he run out from a home to go meet his son before his son arrived home? Because he was excited to see his son. It's like what Martha did when she heard Jesus was coming to see Lazarus. She left the home he was coming to and she ran out to meet him. The Greek word does not teach us that we are going to meet Jesus in the clouds so we go to heaven. It may mean that we meet Jesus in the cloud and join him on the journey back to reset this earth. And it's going to be with the resurrected body. So I was asked first hour, and let me be clear, it's my opinion. I think he's going to reset this earth. A new heaven and a new earth, he said. And I think we're going to have a beautiful time enjoying the Garden of Eden all over what will be a new earth. Not floating on a cloud playing a harp with Bugs Bunny. See, my theology's messed up by the Lion King. I need to read, read and watch better material. But see, it's a new body. It'll be me with Jesus. It'll be us together. And thirdly, we can know this is true because of the resurrection of Jesus. This is where I've wanted to get you all day. Why do we talk about death? Because the resurrection sets us apart from any other worldview. It's not just that we're going to die. It's that because we're going to die, our God made a way. And that way was through Jesus Christ to be raised to life. Look at verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And Paul has this really foolish notion. Notice the sarcasm. Paul's notion is, if Jesus is truly raised from the dead, we will stop living like dead people and we will start living like people alive. Because in verse 18 he says, therefore encourage each other with these words. That the grace of God works through the resurrection of Jesus for all of us. You see, Jesus did not come to this earth to do the hard work of the Messiah. So you could wonder, are you good enough? And Jesus did not come to this earth to do the hard work of the Messiah so you could wander around asking yourself, what should I do now? Jesus came, was crucified, was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father so you could understand how valuable you are and what purpose you have for the rest of your existence. The resurrection, in light of our impending death, aligns everything perfectly to answer the question, why am I here and why did he come? Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 5. The next 10 verses, Paul talks to us believers about the way to live. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, some people are, are weirded out by that. It just, it, it's strange that Jesus is going to come unannounced. It should not affect the way you live. If he is coming back, begin to live like he's coming back now, and you don't have to worry then about when he comes back later. You get, get your tasks, get your life ordered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and when he returns, you're going to go, yes. But if you live your life waiting for the last second, hoping you can get it all figured out then, when he comes back, your response may be, oh my. And, and we're called to live in the yes. Verse 3, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. 
But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. Do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. This is the God who's correcting our vision, correcting our steps, and realigning our thoughts. To the unbeliever, and I don't say that degrading, to the person who knows of Jesus, but has never given themselves to him, has never made a a commitment to him, to, to the person who might hear my words today, C.S. Lewis wrote it this way, He said, if you are really a product of a materialistic universe, the circle of life, how is it that you don't feel at home here? Why are we continually shocked and repulsed by death and evil? You see, we know in our souls, whether you want to attribute that to God or not, you know in your soul that things aren't right and you feel out of sorts, disconnected to the reality you're forced to live in. Why is that? Because you weren't made for the world the way it is. You're made for something greater. Jesus Christ came to reveal that. Why doesn't death feel completely natural? You can convince yourself that there are five stages to death, and that may be true, but you're still going to die, and then what? To the unbeliever, my question to each of us this morning is, if Jesus Christ came to reveal the way, and the church has called us, God has put it together to awaken us to our reality. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The church, our burden is to tell people that the way is difficult, the way is unpopular, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's proven. And no other worldview can answer what lies beyond death except the one who died and came back. It's the only worldview that matters. To the followers of Jesus, look at the metaphor of day and night. We have to transfer ourselves to Paul's day where there wasn't electric lighting, that you couldn't be in a lit room all the time unless you worked really diligently to burn some wood or oil. But Paul uses the imagery of day and night. He says, in the daylight, when you're surrounded by people in fellowship in the light, you're vulnerable. Every action can be seen and deciphered. But in the darkness, you can hide in the darkness, and every one of us in this room knows what we've done in the dark that we wish we'd never would have done. But in the darkness, we feel protected and unknown, anonymous, and then we live out our worst character issues. Paul said, we're not people of the darkness, we're people of the light. And the light will expose the sin and lead us to repentance. And the light will guide us on the path. It will reveal the truth. You see, every tear will be wiped away, which means sometimes we must repent with weeping over the sins we've committed. You see, being a believer of Jesus doesn't mean you're better than unbelievers in Jesus. It just means that you're coming to understand that the realities that Jesus revealed are yours and you must bring them to him. He's the only means of salvation. It's the truth of this. You see, I come to two realities and these realities bring about a question. Number one, I'm gonna die. I don't want to. 
but I'm going to die. And even though I don't want to live in this world so much longer with the evil and darkness that just keeps growing, I'm going to die. And that reality that I am going to die causes me to ask the big question, what's next? And am I choosing to live in the power of the resurrection or am I choosing to say to God, I'll just be good enough that somehow you'll feel sorry for me and let me in? It's the moment that death and the resurrection, truth is, they meet. And when they meet, which one will you choose? We talked about it last week. Day shall come again. As the shadows creep closer, I'm reminded of the 23rd Psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. My resurrected Jesus, my hope. Paul says to us, let us be self-controlled. Let us choose, church, how we want to live. As a follower of Jesus, putting on faith and love is a breastplate. Covering our soul with the faith and love of Christ and the hope of salvation as a helmet. It is okay to be a rational, feeling believer. The world says death is natural. Just go through it. Jesus says, no, death is not natural. But it's supernatural when you let the resurrection truth change everything. This morning, let us profess that the work of Jesus Christ is all we'll need to become free from death, to know how to live. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.